Welcome to One Hope, and uh, it is great to see you this morning. If I haven't met you, I'm Mark, lead pastor here at Barrable Hills, and it is great that we can be sitting on these lovely chairs, and I've got a, a couple that I will introduce to you very shortly, but just wanted to again uh, emphasise the fact that we are in a, in a series at the moment. At the start of the year, we've kicked off a series, this is, our, this is week three, and if you have, are new to One Hope, if this is your first time, uh, please feel you can jump back in online and see uh, our first value, uh, which was Pursue God. A couple of weeks ago, I had a couple up here, and if you are here for that service, uh, I know it was a great encouragement for many. I've had some amazing feedback from many of you uh, that have chatted to me and indicated what, uh, how impactful that was. And then last week, we had our senior pastor, Matt, uh, speak on that topic. Uh, so this week, uh, we're looking at uh, build community. But before that, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the fact that we're going to be hearing uh, from us, we're going to be hearing from you as, uh, as we, as a church, unpack this value series, that our first uh, value being pursue God. It was really important, and I said this from the start, and I'm going to again repeat myself in some way, that as we look at our values, it's not just us as a church leadership making decisions, our, I suppose, company lines. You know, as a church, we pursue God, we build community, and we grow people. Yes, there's an element as leaders that we make uh, decisions and, and we, we sense what God is. Are doing and, and wanting to direct us. But also, and this is important, that we discover this together, that we are discovering what it looks like to pursue God. And today, as we kick off uh, this value, being build community, that we discover together what it looks like for us, unique One Hope Baptist Church, set apart what it looks like to build community for us in 2023 and beyond. So a few weeks ago, we had Pamela Baran and she shared, and uh, so did Joel Inna, and it was so good. I know uh, Joel said uh, some amazing things that I've heard people talk about. But Pamela Baran said something really uh, insightful that I've heard about five or six people over the last two weeks refer to. She used the word, I've got my antennas up, when she was talking about her life when she was in uh, Brunei and and uh, that flowed into her life here now in Geelong. And I love that, that uh, I'm hearing people regularly use words f- from you guys, talking about what God is doing in her life and how she's got her antennas up. So today I'm really excited to be able to uh, interview uh, Nathan Spicer and Marilyn Dolling. And I love for you to put your hands together for these guys this morning. <clears throat> as we discover together what it looks like to build community. So one of the things that I love as well about this value, build community, and there's a book that I love, it's called uh, The Trellis and the Vine. It's by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. It's a little bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a church manual that I often read and read different chapters. And it talks about as a church that the church is not around uh, being spectators and consumers, that we are contributors and servants. And right here are a couple of people, and they're very humble, and you're going to pick that up very quickly, that these guys are contributors and servants, and I love that. That uh, today these guys aren't 
you'll hear that, that they will uh, emphasise the fact that they're not, nothing special. But I have been able to spend a bit of time, I've known Nathan for a number of years and I've recently got to know Marilyn and these guys are contributors and servants. And again, it's, we can take great encouragement from that. Uh, so I always love to kick off uh, this little interview today and I'm going to start with you, Nathan. Where did you grow up, mate? And uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood. First of all, this is a classic, mate. I feel like I'm on uh, an episode of Dr. Phil. <laughs> it's like I've never done it like this before. Um, and I actually have known this guy for a long time. I, uh, I reckon this is a classic you and I sitting up here right now because I reckon about 20 years ago, I actually wasn't coming here, but um, I was going through a bit of an interesting time in life and I actually brought Jal to church here for about 20 years ago. So for us boys to be sitting up here, 20 years ago, if you had have seen, met us, there's no way in the world you'd think you and I'd be sitting up here. It's funny because even back then we, were, we started hanging out that much and back in the day, Jal, he was probably a bit of the Tom Cruise of uh, Geelong the Surf Coast and um, the ladies loved him and I remember um, when he and I started hanging out a little bit, um, I started coming around and hanging out at his house a fair bit. This is obviously pre-Bridie uh, and Amy and his mum started getting a bit concerned. I think she started thinking that I was going to become uh, Mrs Jelly. <laughs> she even suggested that Mark take me on a, uh, a weekend to Dalesford one time. I think that's when we thought we'd better go and meet some... But, um, yeah, mate, what was the question? I've totally hijacked this, haven't I? Well, we're talking uh, about you, Nathan. I know yeah, naturally... Sorry, mate. Uh, bit of fun. You, uh, uh, you like to defer. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. I'm more the someone that loves asking the questions. And this I'm asking like, totally Marilyn questions too, not you. Yeah, I'm God, asking I'll, Marilyn. I'll probably mate. do a bit of that too, Mazzy. <laughs> sorry, mate. What was it again? Tell us about, <laughs> tell us about your childhood. Where did childhood? you grow up? Grew up around Geelong and that. Um, my folks go to church here. Uh, my family do. I um, went to Christian College, uh, moved to Melbourne for a little bit when I... Got a job and that up there. Um, married an incredible girl, Bridie, who might be sitting around here, sometimes gets up here and, um, and preaches and speaks. Um, but I had a great childhood. Um, yeah, like I said, I've got two of the most incredible role models as parents. And um, yeah, I've been really blessed, mate. Three little kids and now I live in Torquay. You do. You've got three beautiful kids and an awesome wife. And I've uh, loved uh, being able to be in church with you over the last uh, eight months since we've been back. Actually, about 10 months, I think we've been back now. Marilyn, what about you? Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I actually was born in Geelong during the Second World War. And in the, when I was born, we stayed with a family of great-grandparents, grandparents, my mum, my auntie and myself, living in a three-bedroom house right down on near the station. And soldiers used to come and camp in the backyard when they were either going to camp or coming home. So our house was always full of other people, food being spread around with the little we had. And then when Dad came home, we moved up into West Geelong. And in 1959, when we were there, one of our neighbours, or Mum and Dad were part of the Methodist church. Dad's Bible lived in the bottom of his cupboard and the only time I ever heard them pray was when they said grace. But Dad was very socially involved, volunteering everywhere, running people around, and our home was always open to others. But in 59, um, one of our neighbours, who was a retired missionary, hired a bus and took a whole lot of the neighbours to the Billy Graham crusade. And that really upset the street because a lot of us gave our hearts to the Lord. And she started then discipling us, running a Bible study. So I spent my evenings up at Manobaps, much to Mum's disgust, because the, the Baptists were the sheep stealers as far as she was concerned. 
So then I went to Teachers College and I got a position in Melbourne. And when I met my husband, the first thing Mum said to me, he's not a Baptist, is he? And I had to say, yes. So I moved to, Mel- moved to Melbourne and we lived in, Dan- in, in went to Dandenong Baps first and then we built out at Roval when it was country. And the Roval Baptist Church actually started our home because there were three couples and we all had a vision for the area. So that was there. And then when the kids were older, we moved into Ormond and replanted the Glenara Church because that was empty. And then moved back. We bought a property down at Anarchy about 30, over 30 years ago when mum and dad were getting old. And we started at Cloverdale. I knew Amy as a little girl. And there's so many Cloverdale people here, but um, we've sort of been active there ever since and until, well, up until last year when I moved out here. And where do you live as well now? Oh, I moved to Abervale. When, when my husband died at the beginning of 2020, I had to sell up. And so I had a lot of friends at Abervale, people that I'd known, gone to school with, gone to college with, plus others I'd met over the years and I moved out there. So tell us a bit about your family. I have, well, my husband, Roger, we were married for 53 years. Um, we have four daughters and we have 11 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> and we might talk about your family a bit later because there's some great uh, things and some challenging things that you've uh, learnt sure. and your uh, time as a parent and now a grandparent as well and great-grandma as well, which is amazing. Yes. So just, yeah, Nathan, I'd love just for you to talk a little bit about uh, that little that period in your early 20s. I know yeah. you did mention you did bring me along to church, which was uh, in- incredibly uh, amazing for, for me and uh, I'm really appreciative of that. Um, but, yeah, just talk about that little period. You said that you weren't obviously yeah, coming to church. Um, talk back about then, that. I, um, yeah, Joe and I were talking about it the other day. I haven't gone the Michael Klim look on purpose. I, um, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I, I started losing all my hair. My hair fell out, which was, um, yeah, pretty brutal. Like, um, yeah, I went through a pretty, pretty dark time in my life where I just, you know, lost a bit of identity and didn't know where I was. And, um, yeah, it was yeah really interesting time, mate. So, um, but, yeah, it was surrounded by some great, great friends and great family and probably the faith the size of a mustard seed, which got me through. So that, that period of time, I don't know, it's a tough time to talk about, you know, that sense it's of... It's funny because I'm so, I'm so good with it now, but when you reflect on things, it can make you a little bit, yeah, emotional, but yeah. So that period of your life, it was tough. So you talk about uh, how some key people helped you in that time. Yeah, I, probably family was probably the biggest one. Like I said, I've got incredible parents and family and, and a couple of ghost mates. When, when you go through something like that, probably in your early 20s when you, you, know, you get a pimple or something like that, what a big deal that is, let alone um, you know, when you're like, yeah, brushing out all your hair. Um, but yeah, fortunate, mate, that I had some incre- like, incredible parents who were very supportive and, and, yeah, and family and stuff like that. And um, Like I said, mate, I, I, like, I, I had a faith growing up. And it just, it's, I actually reflected on the other day just the significance of like those early days of going to church and your parents bringing you along to kids' church and all that kind of stuff because, you know, that that probably got me through it. You know, I think family and friends can be very um, encouraging and supportive, but without faith, there's no hope. So that hope that you have, 
and I know it's something, and I'm, I'm going to actually get you to not talk about yourself because I know yeah. you don't love that. Yeah. But you've you've got a lot of relationships with people, and yeah, you, you've got people. a real people person. Yeah. So how has your experience from your twenties helped you now in how you relate yeah. and chat to others? Yeah, I I, I love people. Like people, are my favourite things. Um, like seriously, like really if you are. meet me a lot of time, I'll probably want to give you a hug or have a chat. I'm like I said, I'm more someone that loves asking the questions and getting to know people. Um, it definitely like you go through tough times. It makes you more sensitive to other people's needs. I think, you know, maybe you become look. I don't know. It's sliding door moment in it. Like you become less self-absorbed. Um, I love. I love people feeling good about themselves. I love people feeling loved and encouraged and. And I, I'm like I'm passionate about community. I'm involved in lots of different communities, whether it be the church community, my work community. Um, you know, like I, I, you probably was gonna. Jail came along the other night to a big group of lads. I just get together in talk a about you know 30, 40 guys, and we all just and it's not church guys or anything like that. Just an awesome bunch of guys that I've just pulled together that I just love. And um, and then there's our our men's connect group, which mate, I just. I don't know why everyone's not involved in some kind of a connect group because that's just like hanging out with a bunch of lads here who I just love and you pray with and just talk about what's going on in life and no, it's gold. So when you do talk to people, Nathan, what do you, because we chatted about this, yeah. when, you, when you have a chat with someone, and I found this quite profound, what he said to me, is he might run, we were down in Torquay and it was like you were the mayor, pretty much every second person you either know or you are saying hello to, so, which was wonderful. But when you talk to people, mate, what, what do you, you shared a bit about what you expect. Um, I think I remember what you spoke about. I, um, yeah, I think outside of my job that I have that I go to in Melbourne I'm, I'm pretty passionate I love I love investing in things and I love expecting I love investing in you know property and stuff like that and I, there's always a return that I expect out of that but I was saying to Joel people are probably the only things I invest into where I don't expect any return in it's just literally I just love them and love them feeling good but is that what you're talking about yeah so yeah so why do you do that far out mate I know you asked me this the other day and I, um I don't know, seriously, I just, I genuinely love people. I, I, it's, there's, no, there's no motive. Like, even when I get the, all the lads together um, in Torquay, like, mate, there might be one or two other blokes there that are, would class themselves as Christians or go to church, and, and I'm not sitting there trying to, like, this agenda, like, you know, they're welcoming in to an Amway meeting, and all of a sudden I'm going to start, you know, put on a Bible video or something like that, or start praying for blokes or whatever, like... I, I genuinely just love people, love caring for them, and I, and I love people knowing that I do love and care for them. Um, you know, guys these days, and maybe we're getting a bit better, I don't know, but we're a pretty close shop, and I think, you know, um, there's an expectation that, you know, you have the people guys have to be a certain way or drink so much or participate in certain things and I suppose I like to create environments where mate that's not the expectation and and I found when you get to the core of it a lot of guys love that they don't they don't necessarily want to participate in things where they're being egged on by a group of other guys but they want to talk about you know whether it be relationships that they're dealing with with their kids and their partners and stuff I mean even last night totally random but we I go to the RACV resort across um from us and I sat in a sauna with like 10 other blokes and we're all just sitting there and I opened up the topic of just talking about kids and family it was just such an incredible environment as random it is to sit there and have a chat with these half naked guys we're all sitting there and we're all talking about the concerns we have with our families and their kids and it's such a common theme and I I love it because it's like it's just 
it's, it's on everyone's mind. Like, like everyone wants a successful relationship with their partner, wife and kids. Everyone wants to see their kids flourish and do really well. Um, and I think, you know, we need to be probably more intentional as men. I reckon, ladies, I think you're probably a lot better at it in, in opening up conversations and topic, which you might think you go, oh, well, I don't know if, if I bring this up, if, are these guys going to be open to, um, are they going to reject me on this topic or conversation? I find, mate, they're not. Like even the other day at work, I, and I've worked in some pretty alpha male environments, I'm quite happy to talk about my faith. And I, um, and I always open up the topic without any intention of trying to like um, get the boys, um, you know, tell them, you know, open it up and then have them come back to me with something and go, well, no, you're wrong. I'm genuinely interested in why someone feels and thinks certain ways. And mate, I've had some of the most incredible conversations even with Faith, even just a couple of days ago at work with a couple of the lads and stuff and, and they really enjoy it. And I think because they know I've got no, no motive to like push anything upon them or, and, they, and I've got great relationships with people where they know I genuinely care for them and I'm not trying to achieve something for myself but actually because I care for them and people are a lot more open to, um, to talking and, and being open to listening. Great, mate. You are a great listener. I've been in uh, many uh, times as you where I've either been the person talking a lot <laughs> or uh, I've been uh, a part of that. So uh, that's, that's really true. Just, Nathan, you touched on something and I'm just going to swing to Marilyn because I think that your little point there is, is really true for those who are parents. And again, I'm, I'm probably speaking to those who are parents, grandparents uh, today. And you talked about that, that everyone wants to, yeah, wants to be a good husband and uh, uh, wife and, and parent. But at times uh, we can feel that maybe things haven't worked out as well as we hoped. And I know, Marilyn, um, you know, your experiences as a parent, and you've had some, there have been some challenging times. If you could share a little bit about that, that'd be amazing. There have been some challenging times. With my four daughters, um, the youngest one was born with some disabilities, and um, that was a bit of a challenge, but my girls are all very independent girls. Um, The eldest one... Well, they were all brought up with faith, they were all brought up to believe, but she chose to do her thing when she got to year nine. She actually ran away and came home pregnant. And that was a real battle to love, and to love her through that, support her through that. That effect deeply affected the other children. The third daughter, no, the second daughter really struggled with that. At the time, she was just almost a baby in her faith and she just chucked it all in when that happened. They still kept going to a Christian school and they struggled through that. Our third daughter just ran with the Lord. She just had such a love for the Lord. And I used to say to her, Chris, what's so different about you? She said, Mum, you all brought us up the same, but I've chosen the way I want to go. And she is now in ministry at... One, at um, crossways up in Melbourne and it just thrills my heart to see her and her children just so in love with the Lord and and so doing what my heart was. Um, My youngest daughter actually ended up with drugs. She ended up in jail and she ended up, when she came out of jail, she broke her um, parole and I actually went to live with her for seven weeks staying in a car under the bridge going through welfare, getting her established again. And then on Easter Sunday that year, we'd been, I'd been trying to get her to go to church up there, but I'd caught up with the River Church up there. 
and they were having an outdoor event that day and she actually gave her heart to the Lord that day. But she's gone away again at the moment. We're still open. She's still, that knowledge is still there. That hunger's still there. But, yep. Pardon? The seed is there, yes. And it just needs more watering. You know, she's the one that I think she shows more love than any of them. I love them, yeah. Oh, good on you, Marilyn. And that, that as we caught up, uh, you, know, you had a, also a challenging time back in the early 2000s, I think it was, mm-hmm. and uh, you had some health challenges yourself. Uh, just talk through that and what happened post uh, you coming through? Well, if I just go up to the beginning of that, I'd been very, I was a teacher, I loved my job, I was just blooming in my career, and I actually came down to Covenant College and took over from Joe when she went into the mission work. And everything was just fantastic. We had a wonderful church, we were happy. And then all of a sudden, my dad and my sister get very sick and they died in the beginning of um, 2004. And my husband um, was diagnosed with cancer. But during that time, I was also retired out. I'd, I'd got bowel cancer and I had a lot of complications and I was actually retired out totally and permanently disabled. I could hardly put two words together. I had to go to a memory clinic because I'd arrested and there was some brain loss there at the time, they thought, and everything just seemed to crash. And then when my husband was diagnosed the same week as I lost my dad and my sister, I wasn't able to drive backwards and forwards to home, so the Leukaemia Foundation gave us a home to stay in in the city, just near the hospital. But I just had, well, all I could do was sit by his bed and look around and see so many other patients, see so many other families and carers that had no hope, that didn't know what they were doing, how they were going to get through. And I found I was almost constantly with people because I'm like Jason, I love community. I love getting to know people and helping them. And at that time in the government, they were coming up with that idea that patients need to be consumers, they need to have their say, and what happens in the hospital and in the treatments needs to be looked at from the, they used to call it the the consumer point of view. And during my teacher training, not teacher training, teacher years, I'd actually done a post-grad in um, policy and curriculum development, and little did I know that that thing I thought I just did for an extra thing to do that God was going to use it so much. And I I was asked by the hospital to, would I be willing to be their first consumer advisor, their advocate for patients? And I also got involved with starting up some cancer groups, getting people to support, and that's just grown on and on and on to not only locally, but local government, um, state government, and also nationally now. Amazing. And you did uh, refer to a story. I think there was a, a vote or at a... Pol- oh, yes. <laughs> with, with cancer policy in particular, I spent a lot of time with that and survivorship. They were developing policies. They called them the cancer plans, the optimal care plans for cancer patients. And these were for the doctors, the clinicians and the hospitals to follow. And there was one thing amongst those that I found that was lacking, that was spiritual care. And they talked about it in, in our discussions. We'd meet up at the health department with the health ministers and doctors and professors and the university people. And I kept saying that this is a vital part of, of people's care. 
They get their physical care, they get their social care, they get their medical care, but their spiritual care and their spiritual needs aren't looked after. So we finally got them to agree to put it in the paperwork. And on the last day before the last draft was to go to, to the government, we had a big meeting up at the health department and I was there and there was a whole crowd of us. And I was asked to speak to my views on that, that morning. And, there was, and I said to them, it's there, but it should be a subject. It should be one of the, not just a dot point, but it should be a heading for needs. And it wasn't getting anywhere and it was getting close to the, the meeting. And in the end, God just gave me a boldness that I didn't even know I had. And I said, would all those who agree with me please stand up? <laughs> You're saying this to professors and doctors and ministers. And anyway, blow me down, they actually, I had a great support for that. So now in that curriculum policy and in the cancer care plans, spiritual needs is now listed as a need. And I just felt so thankful to God that that was actually able to, to happen. Amazing, Marilyn. Love that story. And um, I'm going to swing to you a little bit later and talk about some of the groups because you did mention a few of your groups, the cancer survivor groups that you're a part of and some other uh, groups as well that you are a part of now. But Nathan, uh, I know you're really passionate about uh, getting guys together and as well uh, even your alpha group that you started. I think you and, and Bridie had a, a large alpha group. Just just talk a little bit about groups. You sort of touched on it a little bit. Why, why do you think it's really important for people to get together and again, with a common purpose, if it's, it's studying the Bible, if it's a bunch of blokes, why, does that, why do you feel that that's really important? Um, yeah, we've run a, a fair few different groups. Um, like you were touching on them, we've done the, yeah, run a few Alpha courses. Um, if anyone, the Alpha course is um, purely, it's really designed for people who have no faith at all. Like it literally is the, if you haven't, um, even running one as a Christian is like just, is phenomenal because it literally allows you to get these group of people who, um, who could just think it's the, this Christianity is just the biggest crock and it's actually encouraged for them to participate in a way that they actually would, would say that. Um, and Bridie and I have run a few of them and um, if I would recommend anyone who had a friend or someone they loved or whatever it is, it is the most incredible, probably my favourite course I've ever done within church or anything like that. It's, it's, um, they're not going to, it's not something where you, you'd send your friend to it and be like, oh man, what are they going to go to? Is this going to make me cringe? Like we used to have the most incredible conversations and topics out of it. But yeah, like it is, like all the, all the um, groups that I would participate in or, or, um, or encourage would be ones where there is common themes. Um, and like you said, Alpha Group is probably one where people are exploring faith and have, have questions that... Um, they're not ready to come into church. They actually would claim that they're probably atheist or even something different, but they're, they're open to just come along nervously to a group and, and, and have a chat. And even through that, like, because we, we went to a church in Melbourne um, where my wife was a pastor for a while, and um, I had guys from, um, who were um, from work who I said were pretty big, strong personalities, and I had um, a couple of other mates who um, were uh, professional um, footy players and stuff like that, and... I brought them into that environment, which you'd sort of think, oh, gee, what are they going to think of this? This is going to be very interesting. And um, they loved it. And even now today, those guys, since I'm not up there anymore, they still have this relationship where they actually do uh, get together um, and connect with each other and um, have a small group and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but 
What was your... That's great, mate. Yeah. You, Sorry, mate. You I know, get so off topic. I could be going up no, here for ages. No, it's great. And, yeah. and I think one of the things when it, it comes to it comes to groups, and you're, yeah. you, you and your wife are really passionate about it, and even yourself. But I, and I, I know when we caught up, we talked a little bit about this. What, at the heart of it, because people getting together is wonderful, and and uh, you know we could we could do that every day of the week. But when it sort of you get under the hood and, and you really uh, get deep with people, I suppose, what do you think people really need out there? Oh, look, if I was being one hundred percent honest, I'd say it in here. Like, I definitely think relationship with Christ is like paramount. Like, um, to have that foundation in your life is just like you know um, so significant. Like, I know. I know with, say, like, uh, my men's groups and stuff like that, the difference between, say, participating in, like, a, a group with a bunch of guys from church or whatever and um, being able to sit there and and uh, and pray for things that are outside, you know, um, our control has just incredible power to it compared to just sitting in a group and sometimes just talking about problems that we can't necessarily resolve. But I think, yeah, people froth on that community. Like, they, they just really, like... They look, I think, and even more so today, people are so busy. So, like, you know, like for argument's sake, the one I organise with all the guys in Torquay, like, I, I get it started off with just a small group of us, and then I was cooking for everyone, and then it got that big where, you know, we, I start, I get a chef to come in and, and cook for everyone. We sit around a fire outside, and, and just watching the relationships develop in that, where, like, you talk about the common theme where, you know, people want community. They want to be able to um, talk about things that are going on in their lives. They're so busy with taking kids to sports. Both, you know, these days a lot of time there's dual, you know, both people are working and all that kind of stuff. That, you know, I suppose I try to create that environment. is more about just creating an environment where people can just come and just have a chat and engage with other guys and just talk about what's going on with them. And I, I know personally what's going on in all their lives individually, but then I leave it for them to be able to if they want to, you know, form connections and I'll watch that where they um, where they'll want to talk about different things and a lot of the time in that environment, like the, the other night, like, even though I, I find I'm sort of running around and I, I, I might connect people to other people knowing that they do have things in common that um, will build and develop their relationship. And you do make it look easy, Nathan, um, which oh, is wonderful. Uh, and uh, But I think at the heart of that, which we really love, is there is uh, a real passion uh, for people, which absolutely love. Um, I'm going to th- th- throw back to you, Marilyn. So you talked to, when we caught up, you mentioned to me that, uh, that you often feel like Esther from the Bible. Mark, I think that's what I was talking about when I was talking about meeting with the government. You know, I'm, I was a retired, intellectually handicapped, supposedly, lay old lady who... <laughs> whose life had turned upside down. All my teaching had gone down the gurgler and um, I didn't know where my life was going. But to suddenly be invited to sit on committees, to meet with government, to go up to, uh, to Sydney University, be an advocate up there, and I'm sort of thinking, what's all this about? And I remember saying to the Lord way back when all this happened, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but if I've got to go through this, use it. That's, that's all the pain, the sorrow. And I'd done pastoral care training years ago and bereavement care, and it wasn't really my favourite thing back then. But suddenly I'm finding that um, I'm meeting with people. I'm looking after them in pastoral care. I'm meeting with them around their death, the best, deathbed of their family, supporting them. And you get a whole new insight into their needs. And that just gave me a driving passion 
to when you see the policy that's put in front of you or you see care plans that are missing vital things for people and their families. God just put such a passion in me that I was, I didn't, he gave me that boldness like Esther, it didn't matter who they were. If there was a need, I found myself saying things that I'd normally hate confrontation, hate talking to adults, give me kids and I was fine. But it was just, God reminded me many times of Esther. You know, if Esther could do it, well, you can do it. You just have to front up like this morning, front up and God will tell you what to say. So you're at Abervale and that similar attitude to caring and thinking of others and yep. you talked about the fact that your door, I think it's on a Thursday morning, I yeah, think it is. Yep, yep. Tell, talk about that. Well, with, with Abervale, what I discovered, um, as you get old, most of the, you've got to go and live somewhere when you can't live at home anymore. And you look around the people where you are, and most of us are there, not through choice initially. Some that have still got their husbands and are retiring, it's a good choice to go, but a lot of us have been there because our plans, our life plans have suddenly ended and, and changed direction. Some of them are there without, oh, my family are way away and I don't see them that often. Some of them don't have anyone to visit. Some of them don't have anyone around. And I looked around and a lot of them, Eleanor laughs because she said there's only about three people that I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> because I love community, I love people, there's so many I've known from, from my past and I look at them, and some of them were people that I used to be at youth group with and we used to do church things with or play tennis with them. And I see them there, lost, lonely, grieving. And they might say to me, oh, well, you pray for me, but they don't expect you to pray. If you pray out aloud, a lot of them freak because that's not what they really want. And it's almost like when you go to high school and you start a whole new life or you're a teenager, old ages like that. And there's so many questions, so many insecurities. And as well as um, having a life group from here that Eleanor runs, I've um, been for years part of a GLOW, which used to be a women's organisation. Now it's open to anyone. But we were meeting regularly in Geelong. And it's over the years, a lot of the people have died off and or not there anymore. And there was a question, or five of us left, do we keep going? Do we stop? What do we do? And we had a couple of days of prayer and fasting and God said we were to have, I was to open my doors out there and we won't actually have a meeting but to have just prayer and praise. And last year we had about seven or eight people come. This year we have our first one on next, next Thursday morning. I don't know who's coming but it's amazing the people who are coming out of the woodwork who actually have known the Lord, they've been churchgoers or they mightn't be going anymore. Um, they go to, there's a lot go to devotions, but when you look at them, I think a lot of them are there for the social connections or because they've had something in the past. But to actually see God's love starting to penetrate and there's a bit of a hunger amongst some of them to start, oh, wow. to start coming in. And I just get excited because... I don't know who's going to come, where it's going to go, but it's there, the invitation's there, and sometimes I just sit at my piano and leave the door open, and it's amazing the people who know the old hymns. Mm. I had a lady walk back from a barbie, from a fish and chip night the other night, and she sang Jesus Loves Me All The Way Home, because she, I reminded her that that's what a grandmother had taught her. Mm. 
So whether she's going to come, I don't know, but yeah. it's, a, it's a ripe area for people who need to be loved, who need hope, and who need Jesus more than anything. So good. So good, Marilyn. Nathan, you got a question for Marilyn? When are we going out for dinner? <laughs> actually, I actually really mean that. I think um, it's funny because, like, you and I were having a little chat before and stuff, and I actually, um, it's so interesting that within communities in a church, everyone sticks to their own little community. You quite often find, I reckon church can be a bit of a hard place, actually, and I'm outgoing personality. I find that sometimes you'll walk in the doors, have a bit of small talk with someone, g'day, da-da-da, come sit here like this, sing a few songs. You know, in my case, I'm chasing kids around, trying to think how I get home and stuff, and it's not until you probably participate in something like this or a small group or, or serve. Like, I've, I'm obviously involved with the kids' ministry and if you've ever come across me, I'd probably try to recruit you onto it. But, um, yeah, you get to build these relationships within the church and, and it's incredible because, like, yeah, there's so much, you know, I could learn, learn from you. And I think, um, you know, like even in our men's group, I look at it and go, we're all, we're all sitting there talking about um, topics that we're involved with in, at that time. But, like, I think the value to have someone like, say, like yourself or as is a men's group, like have some of the more mature men who have been married for 50 years and, and raised multiple kids and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, you guys have lived it. Like, to be able to sit there and listen to the, the wealth of knowledge that, that you guys can um, pass on to us is just like... You know, is so valuable. Like, uh, and I always say, even the young blokes that I work with who, who come into the job, and everyone's got um, something that they want to suggest that they should do, and they've got an idea on how they think they should, um, you know, evolve in the job and that kind of stuff. And I always say to them, "Go, mate, don't you listen to people's opinions and stuff, but look ahead." Like, I know I did that early days with me with my job. Like, I, I looked 10, 15, 20 years down the track. I. I look to see that, you know, if I go down this road, is that going to lead me to having a successful relationship with my wife and kids? Is that going to give me time to invest into them? Is that, you know, what sort of person do I become by walking down that road? And I think when you can engage with people like yourself and um, people who are down the road from you, who are all part of this community, I've met so many such phenomenal people in this church. Like, it's just like this most untapped resource of incredible people. And to be part of this community, it's... It's not, you know, it's not just coming in and, you know, I think you were touching on it before and just um, sitting in, you know, sitting here and then walking out the door and not connecting with people. It's, it's participating in it and being consistent in it and um, whether it be coming in here and then and into your small groups and that kind of stuff because um, that's when the community really, you know, you really do build strong relationships with people and you find out, mate, that everyone's navigating life and we've all got different problems and things we're dealing with. I'm sure if you had met Marilyn briefly out the back there and had a quick chinwag with her, you would never have probably found out that, you know, she's dealt with the things that she has and with her daughter and stuff like that. And it's phenomenal that you've been so vulnerable in sharing that kind of stuff with us. But you generally don't get that until you're prepared to probably step out and connect with people on another level. Can I just add something to that? Something you said, it's not only old people that I love. You know, I used to feel bad that I had four daughters and I, fa- I felt as if I'd failed with them as far as their, their Christian lives. But God's given me other daughters, lots of foster daughters. In fact, there's good of me one here this morning, young Beck, who's jo- her mum joined my life group and Beck came along. And we just grew to love each other. And being able to nurture her, I've got 
another Aussie mum to lovely girl over in Canada, people you meet, and others from part of my life journey, these beautiful young people who haven't got a mum or haven't got a nana. And God's given me that almost as a gift that seems to make up for some of the other pain that I've had. And it's just, I've, I see Beck being welcomed. She's come along for a couple of weeks and she's just excited. She's wonderful. And I, I love the way that I've got somewhere where I can bring her to be loved and start her own life. Love that. There's a picture that I'm just going to throw up on the screens. Um, and it's out of uh, an image from uh, Luke 5. And if you're familiar with the story in uh, Luke's gospel, is the story of the, uh, the crippled, crippled man and he's on a mat. And uh, they're wanting, his friends are wanting him to be healed and wanting him to come to Jesus. The problem is the room where Jesus is, is packed. There's a big crowd and they can't get in. If you know the story well, these friends of the crippled man, they are persistent, they persevere, they're creative and they uh, climb the roof. They pull the tiles out and they lower the crippled man at Jesus' feet. It's an incredible story and what I love about this story when Jesus uh, responds and he heals the man, he actually says these words, he said, because of your faith, the friends, you are healed. It's just an amazing picture of community because of the faith of his friends, he was healed. And uh, I know, and I, I sit here as uh, a friend of this man's, that he brought me along to this church over 20 years ago. And I'm so thankful that he brought me to the feet of Jesus. And uh, my life was radically changed, significantly changed. I love the fact that Marilyn is talking about uh, her life and the fact that, uh, that she continues, even in her, uh, her age, could easily be kicking back thinking, oh, you know, I've had my time. But no, not at all. She's still connecting, chatting, encouraging others that are younger than her and older than her in their faith. And it's a great picture for us today and a great reminder for us is who are we bringing to Jesus' feet? And some of us, we straight away think, oh, does that mean we just got to bring people to church on Sundays? Well, yes, it can be, but not all. It can be uh, through different stuff that's happening through the week. Inviting people into your home, opening your house up. What does that look like for you? And I ask you that question today. What does bringing people to Jesus' feet look like to you? It might even be attending a prayer meeting or starting a prayer meeting and praying and interceding and uh, lifting those in your community, those in your school, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace. What does that look like for you? Bringing people to Jesus' feet. Building community isn't about building a crowd around you. These two are great people people, but they're disciple makers. And uh, for us today, as we uh, finish up and we're going to finish in prayer, it's a real paradox, you know, this whole build community, because often we think, oh, you know, we've got to build, like I said, a crowd, people around you. But what I see in these guys' lives and again, what's such an encouragement, what I've again been reminded and even learnt as I've sat here this morning, and I hope you have as well, 
that our lives, when we actually are selfless, when we humble ourselves, when we're willing to listen, engage with others, not think of ourselves. And again, that's a great reminder for all of us what it looks like to build community, that we build our lives upon what Jesus says about our lives, that we lay down our lives to Him. And all of us need that reminder. I know I daily do to take up our cross and follow Him. So as uh, invite our music team up, as uh, we do that, I'd love for you to put your hands together for Nathan and Marilyn this morning. Thanks, guys. And I'll invite you to stand. I'll just refer again to that, uh, that piece of scripture I referred to. Jesus says, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Father God, we just thank you this morning for that great reminder that when we lay down our lives, when we think of those around us in our community, in our workplaces, in our family, God, those that we come across every day, that we can look to You, have our antennas up as such, look to ways where we can listen more and speak less. We all need that reminder. Have our door open to You and our hearts open to You as well. And Father God, we just thank You, God, that we can be encouraged, we can be inspired. Lord, that we can look to You. We just thank You, Father God, this morning, that You draw us near. And in those times when we know that we have just been consumers, when we've just looked at self and we've just been worried about ourselves, Lord, we just thank You that Your mercy, Your grace is sufficient and we ask for forgiveness today. And Lord, as we step into our day, as we continue as a church to build community, as we continue to build our lives around You, Father God, we pray that You guide us, You give us wisdom. You prompt us forward, Lord, that we don't fall back and live in shame and disappointment, Lord, that we can move forward with You, that You draw us near. You lead us forward by Your Spirit. And everybody ask for this in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Let us worship.